0: I think the hallucination, delusion, or illusion started in early twenty fourteen. I remember seeing a lot of shadows that were very dark shadows, and um, me coming from a, a religious background with my faith, I thought that I was um, seeing Satan. So there was a lot of dark shadows everywhere, and I was feeling very afraid, very scared, and seeing a lot of devils or demons. It felt real to me because I was seeing something that, you know, why would I tell you that I'm seeing something if, if it's not real? I still kept mum because I felt that if I started to share with people, then it would scare them away because of the lack of understanding. So I, so I kept all these happenings, all these um, occurrences that were happening to me. I kept mum all the way.
1: Welcome to Screwed Up Moments, the podcast where it's okay to fail and it's okay to try again. I'm your host, Danny. Have you ever felt completely attuned to the world around you? Where you are so absorbed into the present that that is all you can think about. Where your mind finally finds that sweet spot, and all the worry, anxiety, regret, and remorse just melts away. This happened to me once, on the side of a road in a small suburb deep in the American Midwest. It was late August 2012, I had just embarked on my university studies, and after months of research, applications, rejections, celebrations, and goodbyes, I was finally here. And on that roadside, while staring into a wheat field that stretched the periphery of my vision, with stalks so golden and so tall unlike anything I had ever seen in Singapore, I felt like I was truly present. No more worrying about applications. No more regret about past failures, a new dawn was beckoning. New joys, new friendships, new heartaches, and new chapters to be written. The present was full of potential, and in that moment, I was completely subsumed by it. But tell me this, have you ever felt completely detached to the world around you, where you lose control over your senses and your thoughts and your actions, where your mind is so impaired that you break away from all external reality? What would that feel like? How would you react? And how would the external world treat you, with kindness, empathy, understanding, or with stigma? judgment, and isolation? In this episode of the Screwed Up Moments podcast, we are going to be exploring these questions with the story of Rachel, someone who once had a psychotic episode. Okay, Rachel, thanks for coming here.
0: Hi, um, my name is Rachel. Thanks for inviting me to this conversation.
1: Okay, and uh, so before we begin, can we just have you say the the standard line? Hello, my name is Rachel. This is my screwed up moment.
0: Alright, hello, my name is Rachel and this is my screwed up moment.
1: Perfect. Okay, so the last time I asked you to to start with like telling more a bit about your background and stuff like that, the first thing you mentioned was like, uh, you play the piano. Mm. So I was just wondering if you could go a little bit deeper into that. So could you talk about that?
0: Sure. so I started playing the piano when I was about 3 years old. So it was actually my dad's dream for me to be a piano teacher. He felt that my life would be less of a struggle if I was a piano teacher. That was the easy way out for me to earn some bookmark money. And uh, when I was 15, I actually took grade 8. That was the first time I took grade 8, but I failed by 5 marks. And then a few months later, when I was 16, I took the grade 8 practical piano test again, and again I failed by 5 marks. I wasn't very good at piano because I'm not a musical prodigy. It takes me a lot of effort to be able to sight read, and I actually have to spend a huge amount of time to actually practice the songs and the skills. I think uh, in general, I, in general, all, I, I like to play all Christmas songs and uh, certain uh, romance, romantic songs. Yeah. but generally, I, I enjoy playing Christmas songs.:
1: You mentioned that you don't celebrate your birthdays.: Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and then you mentioned that this was because you sort of felt that you were over, you were privileged lah. Yes. Yeah. Mm. Just curious, when did you first have this realization?
0: I first had the realization when I was 12 or 13 years old because I used to come from a A very privileged primary school And I was in the EM1 You know, back then The the top stream of the school And I remember that year Because everyone turned 12 I don't know why there was a trend Whereby they would organise Birthday parties at restaurants Or at fast food restaurants Like McDonald's or KFC To celebrate their birthday So my my birthday happened to be in December And I also hopped on to the trend Of going to KFC To have, you know, the kind of big birthday celebration and then you invite your friends over and that was when i realized that hey i'm just blindly following what my friends are doing actually i did not enjoy the that um feeling that i felt when i was celebrating my birthday where i was the center of attention i didn't like that feelings i felt that everyone was it was just a blind pursuit whereby you know a monkey see monkey do your friend is doing it so you're doing it So I remember feeling that way when I was celebrating my 12th birthday at uh, KFC. So then the following year when I turned 13, I decided to stop celebrating my birthday and instead dedicate that day to doing ad hoc volunteer uh, volunteer community work hmm. on my birthday. Yeah.
1: So um, did you have like a discussion with your parents or your friends over over this? I'm sure oh. they were curious about why you didn't want to.
0: I, no, no, I did not have a discussion with my family or my friends, but I just went ahead to do it because I felt like I I wanted to do it and I enjoyed dedicating my birthday to doing volunteer, uh, ad hoc volunteer work on that day itself, and that resulted in me subsequently not easily revealing my birthday to my friends, so they do not know that it actually that particular day is my birthday, and yeah,
1: that sort of thing. As far as first impressions go. Rachel didn't seem like the kind of person who had gone through a screwed-up moment. She just seemed normal, played the piano growing up, did well in school, was mature for her age, and even though she didn't celebrate her birthdays, it was more out of kindness and self-awareness than anything unusual. And in fact, Rachel would develop these traits into a more consistent volunteering habit as she grew up. Can you talk about how, how that has changed over the years?
0: Sure. So I remember when I was doing my um O-Level days, the four years in secondary school, my volunteering efforts were mainly focused on helping the children, youth or elderly. But when I was in university, that was when the term differently able, special needs and people with mental health condition came about more often and I had a greater awareness of these other stakeholders. So then I realised that actually this is another area I have never ventured in, I've never explored. Because I think there's a lot of negative stereotypes associated with these people who are differently able, they might take more effort for for communication. But the normal general people are always fighting for time. They do not have the patience to actually sit down with somebody with autism to try and understand what they are communicating, and and likewise for people with mental health condition. There's a lot of negative stereotypes like oh these people are weak or they are possessed or they are just mentally weak that kind of negative stereotypes, so it makes it harder for them to integrate into society.
1: However, there is a tragic irony to be unfolded from Rachel's last statement, and it all began when her mind started to detach itself from reality.
0: So I think the hallucina- hallucination, delusion, or illusion—the scientific terms—started in early 2014. I remember seeing a lot of shadows. There were very dark shadows, and um, me coming from a a religious background with my faith, I thought that I was um, seeing Satan so there was a lot of dark shadows everywhere and i was feeling very afraid very scared and seeing a lot of devils or demons yeah so that was it felt real to me because I was seeing something that, you know, why would I tell you that I'm seeing something if if it's not real? I still kept mum because I felt that if I started to share with people, then it would scare them away because of the lack of understanding. So I so I kept all these happenings, all these um occurrences that were happening to me. I kept mum all the way. It started in twenty fourteen, so it's about one one good year before I was officially diagnosed. Yeah So for
1: one whole year You were seeing All these hallucinations Mm. You didn't tell anyone
0: No I did not
1: Must have been a crazy Crazy year
0: I think maybe back then I felt that I was Healthy Because I wasn't um, Diagnosed with anything So I felt that I was Healthy And maybe Mentally And physically Strong enough To deal with All these things Although it was Very uncertain And it was quite scary But back then I've probably felt that I was braver, I was stronger, and I was um, mentally more stable to handle all these things. Yeah. It went on to 20, late 2015. That was when um, things started to go out of hand or haywire. So what happened that night was in December 2015, uh, my parents, my neighbours, who happened to be at my place, saw that uh, I was not being myself, they felt that this is not the Rachel that they know. They felt that something was wrong and just so happened as well that they knew the founder of Silver Ribbon and they actually caught her and she came down to my place because she was nearby and she, immediately one look when she saw me she told my parents to send me to the Institute of Mental Health, (IMH) because I was showing symptoms and signs of someone having a mental Health condition. So then I remembered um, the medics came to my place and wanted to put me on the stretcher, but I was so energetic that they actually tied me, you know, so that they could transport me to the stretcher and then send me to IMH. Yeah, I was so energetic, like so many people were surrounding me and I and I remembered um my neighbor, my neighbor's father, my brother and my uncle were trying to pin me down on the floor four of them, but I was still stronger than them. And they were really struggling to, you know, pin me down and wondering why, where is all this energy coming from? I just, I remember from their recount that they said that I had like a surge of energy, too too much energy that, you know, four guys were trying to pin me down but I was still stronger than them. So eventually, with the help of the medics they tied they me and then uh, they transported me from in the ambulance from my place to IMH. Then they sent me to another hospital to do a full body checkup, And that was when I was officially diagnosed with psychosis, whereby I have this chemical dopamine. I have too much of dopamine in my brain. So it's like a chemical imbalance whereby my dopamine levels were so high that I had to be put on very strong dosage of medication to bring down the level of dopamine to the normal level.
1: You, you you mentioned that you were, you had this overload of dopamine and you were like, you know, dancing around, singing, laughing and all these kind of yeah. things. Were you like like mentally present during that period or during when, when mm. you were going through that?
0: So what happened was I remember being in a perpetual state of high and I felt that I was Completely present in the situation because I was feeling, I was still hearing things, feeling, and could see clearly what was going on. But perhaps how I felt was not what my, uh, you know, neighbors and family, what the, the perspectives were different. That was when I realized it could be, you know, some misalignment or Dissonance
1: that's happening between What I what I was seeing And what they were seeing So, so that's interesting So then um, In a sense you felt this sort of High, this sort of rush mm. But then in the back of your mind A part of it was also saying that Oh actually maybe This might be uh, Something's not right here Kind of thing
0: Yeah because I remember Just Feeling a lot of um, Negative energies That you know uh, relate back to what I felt was Satan that was around me and I felt this urge to fight back you know what they call I was hallucinating but in reality what I was told that I was actually trying to fight my own family and my neighbours you know so much so that they had to pin me down on the floor and try to tie me up to prevent me from hurting myself and to prevent me from hurting other people mm. yeah
1: wow oh, that's a uh, acquaintance. So I'm I'm just gonna throw a sort of narrative thread, lah, huh? Mm. So so you can correct me if if you think it's wrong, okay. right? But to me, it sounds like this episode, sort of like it's it's the culmination or like the confrontation of that one year of hallucinations that you've had. So you've been holding it all in your head, been seeing these hallucinations constantly, constantly anxious, uh, uncertain, scared. Mm. And then it finally just you had enough. You just snapped, and you just wanted to confront the the demon Satan. Yes, yes, yes. And yeah. that was that episode. Mm. Did it? Yeah. Do you think it felt that way?
0: Yeah, I think I I hit up to a point whereby I was spending that one year looking for answers, but my questions were never answered. Then it came to a breaking point where I snapped because the answer is not coming to me despite how hard I look. You know, I, I went to spiritual leaders, I talked to social workers, I, I read up on, on online about a lot of things, but I wasn't getting the answer I needed because the, the mystery of what was happening to me is like unsolved. So then there came a breaking point where everything just, it was a meltdown perhaps, yeah.
1: In a fair and perfect world, I'd like to think that what happened with Rachel was just a blip, an accident of chemical imbalance, or a one-time thing, and that following this incident, things would just go back to normal. Rachel would continue volunteering, playing Christmas songs, and maybe even finish grade 8 on the piano. But this isn't a fair and perfect world, and mental health just doesn't work that way. Once you fall ill, get diagnosed, and experience that detachment from the world, the world, as it turns out, bites back. So I want to move on now to talking about um, when you were admitted into IMH. Mm. So could you describe what that... uh, So how long were you in IMH for when you were first admitted?
0: I was there for a good two weeks. So, and that was a very depressing period because it's not about being hospitalised, it's about spending your Christmas, Eve, Christmas, New Year's Eve and New Year's Day in the hospital. Yeah, I remembered uh, my neighbours came, the two brothers, they came and visit me and they showered me with a lot of gifts, uh, gingerbread men, cookies, yeah, so they, they were all there for me in this uh, down period of mine. They were, my family and my friends were all, uh, they did not judge, but they were very supportive and understanding.
1: And so, um, after your stint in IMH, mm. and you were discharged, right? Go back to, try try to go back to your regular life. Mm. How was it transitioning back? Do you find any difficulty or?
0: yeah it was difficult because the main difference is that now i'm on long-term medication and i cannot skip medication because once i skip medication there's a possibility that i might relapse and the relapse did happen so in 2016 january i was discharged and then i had a relapse in july and then again i got a relapse in september 2016. So I was ordered for three times, just in that short span of time. And yeah, it was difficult transitioning back to normal, regular life because I was being chained to medication and it's got so many different types of medication to bring that level of dopamine down. Yeah. And this medication had side effects like weight gain, heart palpitation, hand tremors, and uh, making you feel suicidal. So that's the irony. It's supposed to help you feel, make you feel better, but psychotic medications. If you Google the side, one of the side effects is make you feel suicidal. So my days became very short. I, I'm in bed at latest 10 p.m. because the medications will make you feel very very drowsy, and it's not safe for you to go out. yeah because it's not advisable that you take your medication late because you might you might miss that window your, your medication timing And you start to have That hallucination Delusions again Which I've tried before I've tried Taking my medication Late at night And the side effects Is very bad You start to feel Heart palpitation Your your whole body Just becomes uncomfortable So I've, I learned that lesson I actually Go to bed I try to go to bed Every day now At 9 o'clock And that means I take my medication By 9pm latest, And I go to bed Immediately after that mm-hmm.
1: mm. And um, So you talk about This taking the medication, how it has really drastically affected your life, right? How has uh, your friends or family responded to this change in your behavior?
0: um, surprisingly they were very understanding and supportive by that, that time like you know late 2015 2016 the whole mental health community was getting more uh, education outreach and awareness so people understand them better and and I did tell my friends that from now on I will I will prioritise my health self-care is the number one priority for me and they were very understanding about it they will actually make arrangements to meet me during the day so that I don't have to spend time with them at night so that that is something that i'm very appreciative about and my family they actually in the beginning when i was still trying to adapt to the medication the side effects they had to be with me almost every night in terms of number one is safety and number two is the sense of security when i cannot be alone at home at night especially so that is the sacrifice that my family had to make whereby they had to be with me at night and i cannot be alone yeah, so that is something that they also had to adjust They had to make sure that they have no night engagement They have to be with me, they have to take care of me And I cannot sleep alone in my room anymore I used to sneak out at night to, you know, go partying with my friends All the way until the wee hours And then I come back crawling to, to the bed at 5am But now I can't do that So I lo- I lost that independence Yeah, so I'm trying to gain back that independence by slowly, you know, um, getting well, make sure you know, I recover so that I can be independent again. that people with mental health conditions were scary because you never know when they might hurt you or do something that is very unpredictable. And I remember there was once me and my friend was feeling kind of uh, frustrated or vexed in university. We actually went to IMH um, Garden. They had one garden. We actually went there and sat there. And then I thought to myself that, you know, For all you know, these people in IMH are happier than than the people outside of IMH Because there's so much going on in the normal people's world That it makes us very vexed and very frustrated So I was commenting to him Hey, you know, who knows Perhaps the people in IMH are happier than the people outside of IMH And then fast forward one year later I found myself in IMH as a patient So when I was in IMH, I actually made f- friends with the people with mental health condition and I realised that they are not scary at all. They are just like a- any one of us. They are not any less of a human being. They are all struggling with certain you know, challenges in their lives and they have no idea why they are also being diagnosed and placed in a mental health uh, ward. Everyone has their challenges and perhaps um, something that constitutes as a mental health condition is the chemical imbalance in your brain. So that is the chemical part. The next part is probably some challenges in lives that they face that they, they could not solve. So that changed the perception of, you know, mental health patients are scary. And after I was I had my own episode and was bothered, that was when I realised that Actually, they are not scary, they are just facing a very difficult point in their lives and in a very low emotional state, and that's why they need that support from the community to help them to bounce back and recover.
1: So then, um, reflecting again on the entirety of the, the incident that happened to you, mm. you know, it's it, it sounds to me that like some parts you were sort of angry and frustrated Mm. Especially with like The medication How it affects your life Taking mm. away Your independence mm. Yeah So When you look back now um, And especially As you're ongoing Continuing your recovery From this incident How do you feel About being A sort of Victim of Mental health
0: So when The whole thing Was panning out And happening to me I really had That strong feeling That You know They misdiagnosed And the reason why I- I'm like that is because my parents probably also have mental health condition because I am 50% of my dad and 50% of my mom. Somebody out there have it first and then I was the unlucky one who got spotted and, and had to go through this whole incident. Then at the same time, another part of me also believes that the reason why I was chosen to go through this incident is to help other people in future so in a sense i also believe that maybe i was chosen to go through this journey for a greater purpose out there for a future purpose that i might use this experience and knowledge to help other people yeah
1: yeah fantastic and uh so rachel um (laughs) interestingly right you also recently featured in today online yeah. Can you uh, tell us a little bit more about how the article, how you came to be featured on the article?
0: So I was approached because I know the nominated member of parliament, Antia Ong. She actually um, told me that a reporter was writing a piece on mental health in conjunction with World Mental Health Day on 10 October. So I think the reporter did a very good job. Uh, she asked the right questions and I, uh, I'm i happy to be part of her article because I want to raise awareness as well to people who do not understand mental illness, who see mental health condition as an excuse for people who are just weak, you know, it's an excuse for them. So I want to debunk these stereotypes and say that they are actually not true. Mental health is it's as important as your physical health. It's just like when you lose your physical health, right? You can't function, and that is the same for mental health. When you lose your mental health, you can't function as well. So there's no such thing as you know, um, with physical health. If you do, if you lose your physical health, right? People will not judge you, but when you lose your mental health, people will judge you. So that shouldn't be the case. Mm-hmm. Yeah,
1: and of course, the um, uh, I would say one of the sort of. Elephants in the room, I guess. Mm. You, 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 if you're not comfortable answering this next question, it's fine. But yeah, so one of the elephants in the room, with regards to the article, and there was a video as well done uh, in connection with the article, mm. was that you chose to be anonymous. Mm. Yeah, and uh, we are, are keeping you anonymous for this interview as well. Mm. So is there a, a particular reason for why you do not want your, your, sorry, your name to be out there? La?
0: Because I think there is still a very strong stigma and discrimination Faced by people with mental health condition And it's not something, um you know, that is very glorious to share with people That, oh, I have a mental health condition It's not seen as a glorious thing People still feel that, oh, if you have a mental health condition There must be something wrong with you Or you're yeah, just simply using it as an excuse uh, for your weakness And, of course, that's not true
1: Yeah so, so, could you talk a little bit about what, what kind of fears? What, what do you think will happen if you sort of shed your name and your story out there?
0: I think if I if I shed it, probably, you know, in terms of career, I don't think my bosses will be happy about it because then they might think that the reason why I'm underperform if I'm underperforming, is because of my mental health condition and that might actually affect my career trajectory.
1: Yeah. So this is, of course, one of the stigmas that you, that you talk about a lot, right? Yes. Yeah. And mm. how do you feel about that, you know, that you are still sort of suffering this from this stigma in a sense?
0: Mm, I think I can't be my real self at work. And I think the reason why is that we need to normalise mental health. Because mental health right now is not normalised um, at the society level. There's still there are organisations that advocate for people with mental health but not all companies or corporates are willing to accept an employee with a mental health condition and I think this is very telling in terms of how the corporates view people with mental health condition I think we still have a long way to go and I do hope that that one day we will actually see people can stand up and say that oh I have a mental health condition but they are not being stigmatised or discriminated it will be something that they are comfortable sharing, and it will be normalized in society.
1: Mm-hmm. And why do you think the maybe the companies or maybe your bosses they are not or they haven't um you know changed their old views or perceptions around mental health yet? I think it is
0: fair of them to think that the person with mental health condition might not be able to perform as well as somebody who is termed as normal, quote-unquote normal. I think that is their main concern. And the other concern is probably... They are worried that Oh, if this mental health person Goes on medical leave And that's going to cost the company A lot of time and money and resource So they might not want to employ The person with mental health condition So I think these are the two main concerns That corporates have Mm. Yeah
1: I think that's a I don't know if if mature is the right word (laughs) Because I would imagine that A lot of people would in, In your position would be more frustrated or angry at maybe the the old stigma that they bear or something like that Mm. but then again you but on the other hand you are able to have this sort of more nuanced perspective you're able to empathize with them put yourself in their position Mm. I think that's admirable (laughs) (laughs) yeah yeah okay and um, yeah so then uh, towards, towards the last segment now um So, how do I put this? How are you uh, dealing with your condition these days? Yeah.
0: Okay. So it's a uh, good news that uh, my condition is getting more stable and it's better because the medication um, is slowly titrating. So titrating meaning you can't stop your medication suddenly. You have to stop it gradually, and it's called it titrating. So right now my medic instead of taking like eight or nine tablets per night, I'm actually on only two tablets per night, which is a big improvement within four years' time. Yeah, so I think everything is looking good, but I am not sacrificing my self-care and my health for anything because it took me quite a while to, you know, to completely say no to to friends who ask me out at night and going out on weekends. I really prioritize my mental self-care, mental health. Uh, entirely, So I think that takes effort on the individual to really set aside time to, for self-care Because self-care is very important And more so for somebody with a mental health condition who is on medication And it's even more important to me because I want to recover as soon as I can yeah, because recovery to me is the, the world right now. That is, should be my priority. So I, I, I hope that, um, you know, everyone will actually prioritize their self-care and know how to take care of their body, take care of themselves well and stay healthy. Yeah.
1: And so with that brings the end to today's episode. Thank you so much for tuning in and much thanks to Rachel for telling her story on psychosis. And just before we go into the credits, I'd just like to quickly close out the narrative with a few thoughts. I think a lot of us in society today spend our lives in the zone in between attunement and detachment from the world, and understandably so given all of our worries and obligations and deadlines and whatnot. But for people with mental health conditions like Rachel, whose detachment from the world was completely involuntary. The real heartbreaking aspect of it is that all they really want is to be normal, but the world keeps rejecting them. Their bodies don't stay grounded, society treats them differently, they can't reveal their identities, and even the medicine that's supposed to help them has its own set of adverse effects and sacrifices. All I can say about this is that although we can't control how unkind or unfair the world is, What we can at least control is how we treat these individuals, with kindness, with empathy, and with decency, just as any normal member of society deserves. With that being said, the Screwed Up Moments podcast is brought to you by the Singaporean social enterprise Happiness Initiative, an organization that advocates for happiness and well-being through their message that happiness can be a choice. Production and editing was done by me, Danny Cordy, on behalf of Fable Productions, with assistance from Clarissa Wemple and executive producers Simon Liao and Sherman Ho. Music used throughout the episode was from Blue Dot Sessions, and the theme song was composed by Rico Lowe and Julian Law. If you enjoyed listening to the Screwed Up Moments podcast, you can help out the show by sharing it amongst your friends, or by subscribing and leaving a rating and review on iTunes or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Otherwise, if you have any questions, suggestions, feedback, or if you have your own Screwed Up Moments story to share, you can drop us a message through the email sumsgpodcast@gmail.com at gmail.com or through the various social media links in the description. Once again, this has been your host, Danny, for the Screwed Up Moments podcast, reminding you that it is okay to fail, and it is okay to try again.